The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. We begin looking today at Romans chapter 10, where we read about Paul's zeal for the salvation of his kinsmen, the Jews. He specifically references the category of the Jews there who had a zeal of God. In the message that we begin today, we look at this zeal that they had, and we discover that it's a godly zeal, but it was not according to knowledge. It was an uninformed zeal. Join us today and tomorrow as we look at this issue of zeal, and we'll see that uninformed zeal is bad, but a zeal that's informed by the true message of the gospel is a zeal that will prompt us to share the gospel with every creature. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Down at the feet of Jesus, I go in humble prayer, seeking in broken spirit to find a comfort there. Though I am just a sinner, my Savior loves me so. Yeah. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What I want to do tonight is I want us to go to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. And I hope, with the Lord being our helper, that we can rightly divide the teachings in the 10th chapter of Romans. The 10th chapter of Romans is often very misunderstood in the religious world. There are those who take this chapter and apply it to eternal salvation. I don't have time tonight to go through all of the examples that I could go through in the Word of God, but one of the most important things to remember in studying the Scripture is that there are two types of salvation taught in the Word of God. In other words, there's eternal salvation taught in some places, but there's timely deliverance, timely salvation taught in many other places. I'll give you an example of that. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 tells us that when Mary was uh, expecting uh, the Christ child, that uh, Joseph was concerned about it and was, as we're told, minded to put her away privately. And, and the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then he said this, the angel said, for she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, so far, we're not in disagreement with any other denomination out there. Uh, Primitive Baptists, Independent Baptists, Southern Baptists, uh, Methodists, any other, any other denomination that I could name would pretty much agree on those two. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. But where the disagreement tends to come in is on that third one, for he shall save his people from their sins. And, and, and most, uh, most denominations, and I'm not saying this to cast a spur, I'm trying to make, a, make us understand that there's a difference in what primitive Baptists believe and, if, and some, some others believe as, a co as opposed to uh, the religious world out there uh, in general believes something different. What we believe is that just like it said, he saved his people from their sins. Period. End of story. He didn't make them savable. He didn't provide a pathway where they could, uh, if they do right or make the right decisions or live in the right way, they could one day achieve salvation. He saved his people from their sins. That's talking about eternal salvation right there. But then there's other places in the scripture. Uh, one that comes to mind is the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew. You can turn and read it sometime. When the apostles are out on the water uh, in the midst of the storm, and the storm is blowing up high, and according to what we read there, it looks like just one more wave would swamp them, and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. <laughs> and they went to Jesus and said, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Well, they're not asking the Lord to give them the new birth. They're not asking to be regenerated. They're not asking to go to heaven. If they wanted to go to heaven, they could have just let the boat turn over and they'd have gone right on that day. <laughs> they were talking about a timely deliverance here and now. There's many things, beloved, that we need to be delivered from and delivered to here and now. So when we read the word saved, we need to ask ourselves the question, if we're going to rightly divide the word of God, we need to ask ourselves the question, saved from what? What kind of salvation is under consideration? 
And in Romans chapter 10, I want us to look at this passage here with the question that we're going to need to ask, what kind of salvation is under consideration? And I really want to preach on a little a topic that uh, I hope is going to help us in our daily walk and in our fervor and our zeal for the kingdom of God. And it's going to teach us what we ought to be doing and how we ought to approach that. So let's begin reading in Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Remember what I said. You've got to ask the question, saved from what? You also have to put it in context. And I don't, again, have time to go back, but I encourage you to go back to as far back as you want to in the book of Romans, but in particular into the 8th and ninth chapters. And you're going to see in chapter 8, down towards the end of that chapter, beginning around verse 28, that he begins to tell us about the purpose of God in eternity and eternal salvation. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, everybody, you know, many people know that verse, but very few uh, out in the world, at least, that I know of, uh, go any farther than that. But look at verse 29, because that's the follow-up to what he just said. He said, these things, there's some things working together for good. Now look at what verse 29 says about those things. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. We have an encapsulated plan right here that God implemented, that God purposed from before the foundation of the world to save his people from their sins just like we read in Matthew 121 the, the the angel wasn't lying he was right and the plan the purpose of God in salvation began before the foundation of the world and notice it's whom he foreknew not what so t so many times people try to explain the doctrine of election away and say well uh, God looked down and saw what you would do and based on what you would do, he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. This doesn't say that he looked at what, he looked at whom. That's a personal pronoun, beloved. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. I love that word predestination. I know it causes anxiety. I know people get uptight about it. And beloved, but if you'll understand predestination in the way the Bible teaches predestination, it'll be the most glorious doctrine there is in this world. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Look at what we're predestinated to. We're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. You know, one thing we don't believe here at this church is something, it's a doctrine that many Calvinists believe, which is double predestination. God didn't predestinate some to heaven and predestinate some to hell. God didn't have to take an active role in sending people to hell. Adam put us merrily on our way to hell. It, by nature, we are bound to hell. We are bound in our own hearts and minds. By nature, that's, that's the place that we deserve. And we're not interested in the things of God. But you know what predestination has to do with? It has to do with the fact that God, in His mercy, and that's what he, we read about in Romans chapter 9, in His mercy and compassion, He chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world that otherwise would have gone to hell, that otherwise uh, certainly deserved hell, and no way they could have gotten themselves out of hell because Adam sent us, put us in a place where we cannot save ourselves. 
And he chose the people in Christ before the foundation of the world. And see, you keep reading in Romans 8 and you get down to Romans 9 and he'll start talking to us about that doctrine of election. Over in verse 11 of chapter 9, he talks about the purpose of God according to election. And he tells us that it's not based upon works. He said the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. The doctrine of election is the the everlasting love story that God had for his people which began before the foundation of the world and will never end because it'll pass all the way through the, the gates of eternity and we'll be eternally with him. He loved his bride before the foundation of the world even when she was unlovable. And we go on and read here that uh, in verse 15 probably the greatest statement about the doctrine of election, about the fact that God loved his people before the foundation of the world and purposed their salvation and made it certain. He said, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You know, that's what the doctrine of election is all about. It's about the mercy and compassion of God upon a people that didn't deserve it. So he, and then he goes on to, to completely um, disavow the primary teaching out in the world today. In verse 16, he said, So then it is not of him that willeth. You know, out in the world we hear people say, you have to exercise your will in order to become a child of God. You have to accept Jesus. You have to pray the sinner's prayer. You have to, you know, uh, hold on, let go, whatever it is. You've got to exercise your will to do it. The problem is the will is corrupt. The problem is we're dead in trespasses and in sins. And that's why he says, it's not of him that willeth. Praise God, it's not of him that willeth. I'll tell you, if, I, if it was up to me to will my salvation, if it's up to me to accept Jesus, if it's up to me to pray a prayer, I wouldn't get it right. I'd miss a word or I'd be insincere or I'd, I'd, I'd be thinking about something else. I don't know about you, I have trouble just praying. If we had to pray a prayer to get to heaven, I was praying this morning. I was praying this morning, getting ready for services. And um, I started out, Lord, I mean, I was really focused, brother buddy. I was, man, I had it going. Lord, be with me. I need your help this morning. Pray, pray for, you know, the church and this. And, and then before it was over with, I was thinking about what I'm doing next week. <laughs> I done got distracted over here. You know, well, you know, I've got to go here and there and what a doctor's appointment over there. Well, let me get back to praying. Come on, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. It's the same thing's wrong with you. You still got that old Adam nature within you, you see. And if that's all I had, if it was up to me to pray a prayer to get saved eternally, then I'd mess it up. I'd be distracted. I'd be thinking about Krispy Kreme donuts for it's over with, you know. I'd have it all over the place out there. That's how, that's how unable I am to save myself. Praise God. And he said, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. That's works right there. You know, some people have the idea that the way salvation works eternally is there's going to be a day when we'll stand before the Lord and he's got a book that has your good deeds in it and your bad deeds in it. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then he'll let you in. And if they don't, you go to hell. Well, I hope it's not that way. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I want to ask you this question. When's the last time that you devoted a full 24 hours of your day with your loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? 
Tell me when you've done that. I, I have never lived a day. I'm 55 years old. I've never lived a day when I devoted my entire day to him. There's every, in fact, I can't really point you to a day where I devoted a majority of my day to him. Maybe I wasn't actively sinning, but I was just sitting around thinking about things of my, that I was interested in and not the things of God. Watching some old show that, that wasn't really any benefit to me instead of reading the word of God. You see, praise God, that's not the way it works. Because if that were the way it worked, none of us would have any chance whatsoever. But instead, it's based upon God that showeth mercy. You see that there? He said, it's not of him that willeth, it's not of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now, now I, I lay that groundwork because now we're in chapter 10. And God, and God has just inspired Paul to write about this eternal redemption that is solely and wholly in the hands of God. And now we get to chapter 10. And many times, those out there in the denominational world in the Armenian world will say that, uh, that see, here is the pathway to eternal salvation. Well, I want to go ahead and submit to you tonight that the salvation that's under consideration in chapter 10 is not eternal salvation. It is a timely salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is a deliverance. It's a deliverance from something to something. And that's what we're going to see here. So let's look at it again as we go back to chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Okay? In the context, rightly dividing it, let's look farther to see what it is they're going to be saved from. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I want us to look here for a minute at Israel's zeal. Look at that word zeal. The word zeal means heat or fervor of mind it has to do with you're not just lukewarm like brother buddy's been preaching to us about out of revelation you're hot and you're not cold you're hot you're warm there is a zeal here that they have and i want you to notice in particular where it comes from because i'll tell you the king james bible here gets it right there is no question that the kjv gets this right Look at what it says. They have a zeal of God. This is not mistranslated, beloved. Right. Now you're going to go to even the New King James Version or the NIV and others out there, English Standard Version, because I looked them up. And those versions translate this, a zeal for God. A zeal. Now I'm not denying it is a zeal for God, but that's not what this says here. You go back to the original Greek, not that you have to, but I did, and I went back and looked at it. It's in the genitive case. And the genitive case, you're taught, if you ever studied Greek, is a, is a case that denotes possession. Possession. And the point is this, the zeal that they have is a zeal of God. It's certainly for God, but it's from God, you see. It's a zeal that is given to them from God. It belongs to God and it's been imparted to them. And beloved, I want to say to you, it is a zeal that the unregenerate do not have. The man who's not been born again does not have this zeal. How do I know this? Well, from scripture, I know this. First Corinthians chapter two and verse 14 tells us that the natural man, that is the man who has never been born again. That natural man is the man who's only been born in nature. 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They are foolishness unto him. I know I've used this before, but, you know, Brother Tim here is a lawyer. What if I told you he's the most foolish lawyer I've ever known? <laughs> what if the word got out there that Brother Tim is the most foolish lawyer you've ever known, and you had legal troubles and you needed some advice? You would not go to him, would you? You wouldn't go to him. You wouldn't want foolish advice, okay? He's not a foolish lawyer, by the way, but he's a pretty good lawyer. But, uh, but if you found out he was the most foolish lawyer you knew, you wouldn't go to him. It'd be foolishness to go to him. See, that's the first thing there. It says the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They're foolishness unto him. You, you, you think most of the natural man, uh, in fact, the natural man inside me thinks that being down here on Sunday night on such a beautiful day is just foolish. Going to church on Sunday morning when you could be fishing is just foolish. They think that what we're doing here is foolish. It's foolishness unto them in the flesh, in the natural man. But it's even worse than that. Not a, it doesn't stop there. It's foolishness unto him. And then it says, neither can he know them. So the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. I've said this before, there's all kinds of radio waves and television waves passing right through us right now here in this church. And the reason we don't see something displayed on the wall over there, a television show or a ra hear the radio playing, is because we don't have a receiver to receive it. The natural man doesn't have a receiver to receive the things of the Spirit of God. As I've said many times, Brother Michael Goins put it this way, and I can't find a better way to put it. We're in such a condition in nature that we would not come to him if we could, and we could not come to him if we would. And that's where we are. But I want you to notice that. The reason that's important is because these people had a zeal of God. I believe a zeal of God is a thing of the Spirit of God. Do you not? <laughs> it's like the gospel message. That's one of the most spiritual things there is. These people had something. They had received something of the Spirit of God. But notice the problem. It was an uninformed zeal. It was a zeal that was not according to knowledge. They did not know what they were doing as they tried to go about serving God. Because notice what they said. It says here in verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is an uninformed zeal. Now, it's good to be zealous. It's good to be on fire for the Lord. But your zeal, your fervor, ought to be an informed zeal, an informed fervor. Because if you don't watch it, you'll go off doing things that, uh, that don't really uh, do you or anybody else any good. I, <laughs> I've said this, I know I've used this before here. Uh, and I'm going to give you my disclaimer again. I don't necessarily recommend the movie, but there was a movie years ago with Chevy Chase and Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short called The Three Amigos. And there's a scene in that movie where they finally decided to help out this village that uh, they were called down to and they thought to put on a show, but long story short, they they weren't really there to do that, but they decided, they started encouraging one another, sitting around a campfire, and they're encouraging one another, and they're saying, let's do it, yeah, let's do it, yeah, let's go, and all, that. and all of a sudden, they jump up on their horses, and they ride off out through the desert shouting, yeah, you know, you know, cracking their whips and all that. 
And then the scene closes out, and the next scene opens up, and it's them walking their horses back toward the way they had come, saying, reckon how far we rode before we realized we didn't know where we were going. <laughs> you know, they had zeal, they had fervor, but they just didn't have it according to knowledge. They didn't know what they were doing. As children of God, we can have a zeal and we can have a fervor for Christ and for the kingdom of God, but we need to have it according to knowledge. Their zeal was an uninformed zeal. They were going about to establish their own righteousness, and they had not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So what is the righteousness of God that they should have submitted themselves to? In verse 4, we find the answer. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See, the thing they should have submitted to was the righteousness of Christ. Now, let me stop here before we go any further and remind you that we're talking about born-again children of God among the Jews. They had a zeal of God. You know, you don't have a zeal if you haven't been born again. There were some, uh, there were some Jews over there on the day of Pentecost that at, after Peter preached to them, they were pricked in their heart. We read about some more Jews over about the 8th chapter there who after Stephen preached to them, they were cut to the heart. And it shows you the difference in what a preacher can do versus what the Holy Spirit can do. Stephen the preacher could cut them to the heart. I can cut you to the heart. And you know what the result of that was? They got mad and stoned Stephen to death. But you know what the result of the Holy Spirit pricking them in the heart was? They cried out to Peter and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were ready to serve the Lord. They had a zeal now for God. They had a fervor for God, but they needed some direction about what to do. And Peter told them, he said, repent and be baptized. He, they, were, they were blessed. They had someone there who could tell them what to do, and they listened. Because about 3,000 souls were added to the church that day by baptism. They, were, they did what they were told to do. These Jews either didn't have anyone to lead them, or didn't listen to the ones that tried. Because they were told, uh, apparently, Paul says they are ignorant of God's righteousness. They're trying to establish their own when Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And by the way, they were really even ignorant of what the law service really was. Look at verse 5. Paul goes on to describe the law service. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In other words, if you're going to submit yourself to the law, you've got to keep it to a jot and to a tittle. You've got to do the whole law. If, you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you've decided, okay, I'm going to go about to establish my own righteousness by keeping the law, then you better not break one because if you break one, you're a lawbreaker. You may not be a murderer. You may not be a thief. You may not be an adulterer. Have you ever coveted your neighbor's house? You ever coveted the money in the bank? You ever, you ever thought ill about your brother without a cause? And you've broken that 10th commandment, see. Jesus came here to, to show us, or to show those Pharisees, I should say. He came here to show those Pharisees and to teach them that all this legalistic law service that they were preaching as the way to heaven and the way to get righteous was nothing but self-righteousness. And did not work. You know, he told, you, he told us about a Pharisee that we would say today, we would put it in these terms. He walked down to the front of the church and he 
looked around him and busted the buttons off of his shirt saying, I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else. <laughs> I'm sure not like that publican back there. And then this publican at the back of the church wouldn't even lift his eyes up so much as to heaven, he says. And he smote upon his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, see, that's true heart service. You know, it's not about the hand. It's about the heart. It's not about the things you do. It's about the attitudes of the heart. And you see, Jesus was explaining even to Nicodemus that before any service can be done to God, before you can even see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. But after you're born again, you need to be informed about what to do. Amen. And here he says, if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep it to a jot and to a tittle. James says, if you offend in one manner of the law, in one matter, you're a lawbreaker. That's, a, by the way, a, a yoke that we can't bear. That's a yoke that we can't bear. Um, over the 15th chapter of Acts, we read about those who came down and said, well, it's not enough that, you're a, a, that you trust in Christ, that you're a believer in Christ. You've also got to be circumcised and keep the law. Peter said, why place you a yoke upon our necks that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? But notice in verse 6, he says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. So we're about to find out some things here about righteousness and faith. And by the way, that word righteousness just that it's the same Greek word. Righteousness and justification are, tra are translated from the same Greek word. And we're going to see in a minute, I think we can look back to the fifth chapter of Romans and see some parallels. But let's read here. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now before we go any further, I want to go back and look at these verses, but notice here is a promise that they will be saved. But again we ask the question, saved from what? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.